Hi everyone, today's um, Bible reading is taken from Luke 23, verse 44 to 46. Starting at verse 44. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. Okay, uh, Marco's going to preach for us now, so uh, I think it'd be helpful. I'll pray for you, Marco, uh, before you begin and hand over to you. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its reading to us. We thank you that it's been preserved for us. We thank you that everything you teach us through it. And we pray now, especially for Marco, as he preaches it to us, we trust that you've already been at work in him, preparing uh, what he would share with us. And would you continue to work in him and through him? And would you be at work in us too? As we receive your word, would we receive it well uh, with minds that can understand and hearts that are ready to submit in obedience and obey what we hear? For your glory. Amen. 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 Thanks, Wayne, and thanks, Eleanor. And lovely to see everyone's faces again this evening. Well, in these, uh, in these short verses in Luke's Gospel, um, we're going to see in, in a moment something that I, I hope will encourage you. I, I hope will draw us to worship our Lord as, uh, as he is due and as he is worthy. In Luke's Gospel, uh, as in other eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, we read much that feels familiar to us. Uh, true, we are 2,000 years removed from what we read, and there are social and cultural and language things, differences that we sometimes need to get our heads around. But still, we know what it's like, or at least we can imagine what it's like to be hungry, for example, uh, as Jesus was in the wilderness, or to attend a worship service, as Jesus did at the local synagogue, or to walk on the beach, as Jesus did by the Sea of Galilee. We know what it's like to attend weddings as Jesus sometimes did. We know what it's like to have a special meal with close friends, as Jesus did with his disciples the night before his death. But the eyewitness accounts also record moments that are far from ordinary, and this is one of them. Now, some moments in the gospel records are extraordinary because of what Jesus does. For example, when he turns water into wine, or when he casts out demons, or when he heals the sick, or walks on a stormy sea, or even raises the dead. Extraordinary moments. But this moment surpasses them all. You see, in all those other moments, we see Jesus demonstrating power and authority, power to heal, power to cast out demons, authority over the seas. We see him do extraordinary things. But still, fundamentally, in all of them, he interacts in one way or another with the created world, with the world he created. But in this moment in Luke's gospel, in these three verses, we witness an encounter not between Jesus and his creation, but rather between the very persons of the uncreated trinity, between Jesus, God the Son, sustained by God the Holy Spirit, and God the Father, delighting in his Son by the Spirit. As we read these few verses, we, I think, rightly sense the otherness, the holiness of the moment. 
if we had a, a front row seat to the birth of the stars, to the breathtaking moment when 10 billion suns came into being out of the darkness, still, it would not even approach this moment. There never has been, nor ever will be again, three hours like these three hours. So, three things we're going to see. First, God approaches in judgment. Second, Jesus trusts in judgment. And third, God delights in Jesus' trust in judgment. Judgment, trust, and delight. And on your response, on our response to these three things, hangs our eternal destiny. So first, God approaches in judgment. It was the sixth hour, Luke tells us. Well, by the timekeeping conventions of the day, that means it was noon, midday, when the sun was at its peak, the brightest part of the day. But on this day, from noon until three, the brightest part of the day, the land was covered in darkness. Luke reports it as a fact. So do Matthew and Mark. And a fact it is, but what does it mean? Well, it means... God drew near in judgment. Hear how some of the Old Testament prophets describe the approach of God in judgment. Joel, for example, writes, The day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom. The earth quakes. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. And from the prophet Zephaniah, the great day of the Lord is near. A day of wrath is that day. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. And again through Amos, on that day, declares the Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. The darkness of that noonday was God drawing near in judgment. God drew near to judge in Christ all the sin of all the elect for all time. God drew near. Think of that, friends. God drew near to judge. Just over 30 years before this day, God the Son had come to earth as a man taking upon himself the form of a servant. And about three years before this day, God the Holy Spirit had come to earth, descending in the form of a dove, resting upon Jesus, the God-man, at the River, River Jordan, demonstrating the Father's pleasure in the Son. But now, to a hill outside Jerusalem, comes God the Judge, approaching in the form of darkness, approaching Jesus. To judge in him all the sin of all the elect for all time. If you, listening to me now, are a follower of Jesus, it was your sin that he wore on that cross. And Jesus, suspended in the darkness between earth and heaven, endured the judgment your sin and mine deserve. The judgment so terrifying that he sweat drops of blood at the very thought of it just hours before, the judgment so terrifying that the sun itself could not look upon it. What happened in those hours between God the judge 
holy in his judgment. Remember, God is holy in his judgment. All the anger, all the revolt you rightly feel at the vilest sin you can imagine doesn't even approach the holy perfection of God's holy wrath in judgment. What happened in those hours in the darkness as God the judge poured out on Christ the full fury of his holy wrath against all the sins of all the people who would ever believe as if Christ had committed them himself? For Jesus, the God-man, by virtue of the perfection of his person, suffered a quality of suffering in three hours that perfectly satisfied the demands of eternal justification. He who gave his flesh for our flesh, said one of the early church fathers, gave also his own soul for our soul. He who had only ever known the perfection of his father's love and pleasure. You remember at the baptism in the Jordan, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now he knew the full emptying of divine wrath and vengeance press upon him on the cross. What happened in the dark? Well, first, God drew near in judgment. And second, Jesus trusted through judgment. He knew what was coming through the night before as he prayed in anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet your will, not mine, be done. He knew what was coming and he could not desire it. Not my will, he prayed. The Son could not desire to be parted from the Father and to be parted in wrath and in judgment, to be a curse in his Father's sight. He could not want it. Yet not my will, but yours be done. So agonizing was the approaching judgment that the Son of God, the eternal second person of the Holy Trinity, had need of an angel from heaven to strengthen him. I wonder what the angel said to him. Even in eternity, those words will, I'm sure, remain between them. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew the will of his Father, and he went to it, trusting his Father. And on the cross, as wrath and judgment approached in darkness, he called up from his heart the Psalms he had memorized as a boy. From Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the psalm doesn't end there. And later on it says, He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. God will not ultimately abandon me, he trusted. And he continued through the Psalms. In Psalm 23, David had been able to say, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. You comfort me. But Jesus was forsaken by God. God was to him now no comfort but judge. But again, Psalm 23 doesn't end there. I shall, it ends in verse 6, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forsaken, but not forever, he trusted. 
And as the darkness deepened around him on the cross, he continued in his heart to Psalm 24. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, he will receive blessing from the Lord. Lift up your heads, O gates, that the King of glory may come in. I will stand again in the holy place of my Father and receive his blessing. He trusted. To Psalm 25, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. None who wait, wait for you shall be put to shame. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. O God, my soul, and deliver me. Psalm 26, vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep away my soul with sinners. And as those hours passed in the dark and the wrath of God was fully emptied on him, so he continued, sustained by the Holy Spirit, to trust the word of his Father. He continued in those dark hours while bearing upon his soul the unfathomable weight of judgment to feed his soul upon the Psalms. And so he came at last to Psalm 31. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Into your hand I commit my spirit. And having said this, Luke 23, verse 46, having said this, he breathed his last. No one ever died like Jesus died. He was not killed. He gave his life. He breathed his last. No one takes my life from me, he had told his disciples. I lay it down of my own accord. Through the hours in the darkness, Jesus endured the terrible, just judgment of God. And for every instant of it, he trusted wholly in God. And when the moment came when judgment had reached its measure, when wrath was fully satisfied, he took David's words for his own. Into your hand I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. But did you notice how Jesus made David's words his own, not just into your hands, but Father into your hand? Jesus prayed what David could not have prayed, Father into your hand, I commit my spirit. Friends, I, I hope you're seeing the awesome wonder of what happened in those hours, that though he suffered, while he suffered, judgment sufficient to purchase eternal life for sinners such as you and me, while he suffered under the terrifying wrath of the terrifying God, in the dark he looked at the hand that poured judgment upon him and said, that is the hand of my father. What happened in the noonday darkness? God approached in judgment and Jesus trusted through judgment. And third, 
God the Father delighted in Jesus' trust in judgment. Luke reports in verse 45 that the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And again, Matthew and Mark confirm this fact in their accounts. Actually, they add the detail that it was torn from top to bottom. But what does it mean? Well, it, it's not uncommon, especially if you read the writings of generations past, to read that tearing one's garment was in the ancient world a sign of grief, of death, of mourning. Was God tearing his temple garments at the death of his beloved son? Or perhaps he was. What father would not grieve? the violent death of his son. But we dare not confine God to experiencing only one emotion at a time. After all, we can easily imagine a father and a mother at once both grieving the death of their son in combat and feeling immensely proud of his decision to defend his country in that way. Grief and gladness, pain and pride can live in the same heart at the same time. Did God the Father grieve the death of his son? Of course, of course. But he also delighted in the death of his son. You see, Jesus knew the plan. He knew what this was all about. As well as the Psalms, he also knew the prophecy of Isaiah, which says it was the will of the Lord to crush him, to put him to grief. For when his soul makes an offering for guilt, when he pours out his soul to death and bears the sin of many, he shall see his offspring. Jesus understood full well that it would be by the judgment he would bear in his soul that many would be saved from sin and from death. And so his giving of himself on the cross to be crushed by his father was all at once trust in his father through judgment and obedience to his father's will and sharing in his father's will. The father and the son willed your salvation. They desired it. And the Holy Spirit sustained the son's trust through judgment and mediated the delight of the father in it. The apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 5 that Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In the moment of his greatest suffering, under the crushing hand of his father, he was at that moment a beautiful fragrance to God. God smelled the trusting obedience of his son and he delighted in it. He smelled his son's joy in your salvation and he delighted in it. So what happened in those three hours in the dark? The whole Trinity took delight in the salvation of those who believe. And so at least as much in delight as in grief, the father tore from top to bottom the curtain of the temple, the curtain that had for more than a thousand years prevented access to God separating people from his presence in that area of the temple called the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest would go in there, and only once a year, and only after elaborate rituals and ceremonies, and only with a rope tied around him, so that if he hadn't properly purified himself according to all the rituals, and he dropped dead under judgment, 
he could be pulled out because no one was going in there after him. They'd die too. The curtain was what kept people safe from the holiness of God. The curtain was a massive health and safety notice that said, stay away. God dwells here. Death certain. But because of those three hours in the dark, the terrifying judgment of God, the spirit sustained trusting obedience of the son in his father through judgment, and the shared delight of all three persons of the Trinity in the accomplishment of salvation, there is no more stay away sign. Instead, the father says to us who are united by faith to the son in the spirit, draw near, come close. The judgment that should have been yours has been emptied on Christ. The darkness has passed. Jesus endured it for you. And he who delighted and delights always in his son now delights in you who love his beloved, Jesus Christ. Sing, says the prophet Zephaniah. Rejoice and be glad with all your hearts. The Lord has taken away your punishment. The Lord is with you. The Lord God, mighty to save. His delight is in you. He will quiet you by his love. He rejoices over you with singing. Won't you bow your hearts with me as I pray? Father, we give you thanks for what happened on that hill outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. We give you thanks that by your spirit you inspired Luke and others to record this so that we can know what you have done for us, for our salvation, that we see who you are, that in this moment that is in a way so other to us, so beyond us, so holy and in a sense inaccessible, yet by your word and through your spirit, you allow us to see it and to see what you have done and who you are. And that in judgment and in trust and in delight, you have drawn us close. You have made a way for us. There is no more stay away sign for those who trust in your son as savior. Thank you, Father. Amen.